0: Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 543. I'm Ryan Pinagos, AKA Agent M.
1: And I'm Agent of Coffee, Lorraine Singh. C- coffee me. I need more coffee.
0: I get it. I've had three cups of coffee. I got up at 6 a.m. today because my day is a nightmare and oh, I needed great. to make sure I <laughs> had exercise to calm my brain, my mind, my soul. And uh, I've had a lot of coffee. I'm feeling real good. I'm ready to do this.
1: That's what I should have done. I didn't, and now you get me. Enjoy, (laughs) humanity.
0: (laughs) If you are just joining us or if you've been with us for a long time, you know that This Week in Marvel is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. And one thing I wanted to cover is we got chapters. It's a new thing I noticed if you look in your podcast app maybe you'll see that um, the show now has chapters and you can skip around if you want to a little bit easier than, you know, sort of hitting forward, forward, forward or whatever.
1: So maybe what they want to do is listen fully. And then they're like, oh, you know what? I'd really love to listen to that again. And then Mm -hmm. they can use the chapters to go back to it. I have no delusions of grandeur. You may skip me. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, it's really cool. I like chapters. I like features. If you like them, if you saw them, let us know. I listen on Pocket Casts, and I know chapters are also available on Apple Podcast app. But check your podcast app of choice to see if they support chapters. And if they do, check them out. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. we got a lot of great stuff going on this week. Pretty soon, we're going to be talking with the writer of Akwee to the People, EB boy. But, baby, we got... Lots and lots and lots of news this week. Just yeah. a lot. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> First up, of course, everybody is a buzz about Marvel Studios Moon Knight, which Releases only on Disney Plus starting next week, March 30th. So soon. So, so, so soon. And so as we're getting closer to the release, we're getting more clips. There's a really cool clip of the elevator scene that a lot of people saw at the beginning of the promotion for the series. It was in the trailer. There's a new featurette. Uh, you can watch all this on Marvel's YouTube and Marvel.com. Lorraine and I are working on some cool stuff mm-hmm. going behind the scenes with the series that you'll see as we get further along into the season. It's very exciting.
1: Yeah, but if you need something to on Disney Plus in the meantime, those live action Marvel series are now available to stream on Disney Plus. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders and The Punisher, plus Marvel's Agents of Shield and A reminder, with the addition of these titles, Disney Plus has concurrently released an update to its parental controls in the U.S., so if you're signing in, you might be prompted to update those settings, which is, thumbs up, a great thing.
0: One of our profiles on our account is ostensibly for Catherine, but it's labeled Nana and Papa for my mom, uh, because, you know, she'll use it once in a while when she comes over, or she has it uh, at home at her house when Catherine comes over, and I was like... Do I limit what, like... Do Do I I, tell
1: my mom what she can watch? Yeah. Do I put the parental (laughs)
0: advisory on? No, because they they do want to watch other content on Disney Plus. So I I just like that I have that ability to tell my mom she can't watch anything over, you know, like a cartoon for kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we had even more going on. A little Mm -hmm. movie called Morbius is on its way April 1st. No joke. Just because it's April Fool's Day doesn't mean it's not happening. There's a new feature over on Marvel.com. So go check that out as you prepare for bitey, bitey fun.
0: I like this one because they talk about the multiverse and and all the things going on for Morbius. I've heard good things, and I'm 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 keen to get my butt in a movie theater seat and watch it. So it's gonna be great. Also great is of course Fortnite, Marvel, and Fortnite continue to do really cool stuff together this week. Mary Jane is now in the Fortnite item shop, so if you want to get a Mary Jane skin and some appropriate accessories. Go on and check it out. If you haven't seen also the big Fortnite news about, like, they've updated the way the game plays, so there's no more building in this version. It's it's like all storyline stuff that's going on, and Doctor Strange has showed up, and in the game they've added some new traversal methods to it, so it's pretty dang cool. If anybody out there is playing Fortnite and got some cool Marvel gear, let us know. Tell us. I want to hear about it.
1: Yeah. um, Oh, speaking of video games, you can now get three months of Marvel Unlimited with your Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription. If you're a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, you'll see the perk right on your home screen when you turn on your Xbox. So go enjoy. Oh, my gosh. There's thousands of comics waiting for you.
0: I booted up my Xbox Series X last night to play Cyberpunk. And I just saw the Marvel Unlimited thing, and I was—I did like a double take, like, "Whoa, whoa what?" And that's great.
1: Uh, uh,
0: That—that's me doing a cartoon double take. It was good. If by some chance you are a listener to this show and do not have Marvel Unlimited yet, but have Xbox <gasps> Game Pass <gasps> Ultimate, what? come on.
1: Why would you do that to yourself?
0: There's so many great perks that come with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and so this is inarguably the greatest one possible. Yeah,
1: I did that. Um, you guys, you are getting pure unadulterated Lorraine right from the tap.
0: Um, Honestly, we need more ha-cha-chas on this show to begin with. (laughs) Um, Let's put that like as a rule. There's got to be at least two ha-cha-chas every episode.
1: Uh, We also have some great stuff coming for lifestyle and apparel from results. That's RS. VLTS and they are launching a spectacular Marvel collection. There's a bunch of them. You can check them out on marvel.com right now or on their website, which is rsvlts.com or on their app. But they have a whole bunch of new shirts that they just showed off on marvel.com, which are these really cute short sleeve button downs that all have different Spidey characters. So there's like classic Spider Man, there's Miles, there's Venom, there's even that Spidey pointing meme. on a shirt these all look like something ryan would wear so i'm sure he will buy them all but there's also going to be a lot more stuff coming out from outerwear to hats socks and lots more characters are going to be featured from black panther black widow captain america captain marvel guardians of the galaxy hulk iron man loki thor and potentially others so look out for this collection throughout 2022 and beyond Go enjoy. We're close. All right, moving on. The Folio Society. Now, there are some really wonderful books called the Marvel Hero series of books. And now they have three editions of the book for Captain America, Spider Man, and the Hulk. The Captain America edition launched last year for his 80th anniversary. This year, we have Spider Man celebrating his 60th, as well as Hulk. And these are the most a beautiful
0: books. Oh my god, I have a lot of copies of Marvel comics, especially <laughs> like our classic stuff, like mm. original Captain America stories, or Incredible Hulk stories, or Spider Man stories. And I'm a sucker for really great presentation, really high quality paper, and reproductions, and all this stuff. So, the Folio Society came in swinging with these these are really beautiful the Captain America one which you mentioned has this beautiful design by Michael Cho he's just incredible artist we've had a lot of variant covers by mm-hmm. Michael over the last couple of years but he does the design on the front cover and it goes around to the side and the back and this it, it's a really beautiful presentation they have these uh, cloth Slipcase covers that are these are all hardbacks too, so they mm-hmm. go in a slipcase, and then there's an embossed logo for the character. But in the books, it's got a really great description of of the character, it's like a forward, an introduction, and then former editor in chief Roy Thomas handpicks the stories that go into the book. And they cover like the entirety of the character's history. So we go from Captain America's you know first appearance all through you know over 80 years. And it's really neat to see, in particular, because they're reprinting these stories from original scans of the comic books. In a lot of cases now, we see, especially on the digital side, we're going into the files, we're touching them up, we're cleaning them up, and which is really great. I love to see that stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't often get to see what the original comics look like. And so that is a really neat aspect of these for people who may never see these original comics.
1: Yeah, seriously. And now the Spider-Man second uh, volume is out for Folio's Marvel Heroes series, and this is... Wonderful! It features comic books by Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Todd McFarlane, Brian Michael Bendis and of course the foreword by Roy Thomas again who selected these different comics to feature throughout the years. It collects 12 tales of Spider-Man including a replica of The Amazing Spider-Man number one. Of course, created by the legendary Stanley and Steve Ditko. But, you know, you also see some really iconic debuts from Spider-Man comics, like Doc Ock, Venom. You even see Miles Morales. Again, this series, it's that beautiful hardback edition. It's got a beautiful piece of work of Spider-Man on the cover by Marcos Martin, as well as a really cool slipcase. During the Spidey 60th anniversary, we got to give away a copy of this. Ooh. It is... So pretty. I I ended up just putting it on my shelf in the background because it looks so good. Mm-hmm. And the slipcase is really cool too because it's got like a big blue spider on it, you know, that iconic yeah. spider symbol. And these are huge editions, you know. This edition in particular is 304 pages. And of course, it comes in that beautiful slipcase and it includes the comic book replica. So it is jam-packed with goodness.
0: Yeah. So Michael Cho did the art for Captain America. And then for Spider-Man, they have Marcos Martín, who does the art. And it's beautiful. There's this, when you open the book the first time on the the hardback and the first page, there's this beautiful illustration by Marcos in blue and white. And I I love it. And when we talk about going from the entirety of these characters' histories... Well, one of the stories in this issue is from Amazing Spider-Man 801, which is Dan Slott's final issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And he did it with Marcos Martin. And it is one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man stories. And to see that included in here, because that's only like four years ago or give or take. Yeah. And yeah, you've got the replicas of the comics. What, what I really dug is they are actual replicas in size, too. So mm-hmm. the two issues, because there's Spider-Man, and then we'll talk about Hulk in a second, but they're from the 60s. The Captain America issues from the 40s, and they're different size. And having never actually held those books. I didn't realize the difference in size of those. I've seen them reprinted in giant format and different mm. other ways, but putting them side by side was actually really cool to see how different the Golden Age book was from the Silver Age Spider-Man and Hulk stuff. So speaking of Hulk, that one is cool. It's you know obviously these are going with colors and designs that fit the character. So you has got this really cool, very striking green design for the Hulk one. And it's got art by Jim Chung and my God, Jim Chung's <laughs> illustrations—it's sort of uh, I mean, that classic Bruce Banner Hulk with the gamma bomb. It's it's stunning. I've just like stared at it and looked at it for a couple minutes the first time.
1: Yeah, uh, Jim Chung is just great. And this book similarly collects twelve landmark stories. It also includes a replica of the Incredible Hulk number one from 1962, and it features great creators like stanley jack kirby al ewing who we know is has been really instrumental in hulk's growth in these last handful of years especially and i really do love that it just covers the gamut or the Gamma-It, <laughs> right, of uh, Hulk stories. So you're going to see things like battles with the Submariner, to Windigo's debut, to uh, all kinds of confrontations with his alter egos. So Hulk has got a really rich backstory, and it's really fun to explore. And I, I love these, too. Like, if you love Hulk, but maybe some of your old-school knowledge is not there, these are so fun to pick up. And really say like, what are the greatest hits? What are the most instrumental stories in Marvel comic book history? And then to get it in this big, beautiful format is so delicious. Yum, yum.
0: It's something special. It's if you've got someone who you think would love a really beautiful gift, this is this is one of these mm-hmm. would be perfect. Get it now. Go to foliosociety.com. That's F-O-L-I-O-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y.com. And get your copies. All right, let's talk about the Penguin Marvel collection because we've got even more cool books coming your way. We got a first look at books posted on marvel.com. These are coming June 14th. We've got original important stories from Amazing Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Captain America, which cover a whole bunch of classic stuff. On Spidey front, you've got his first appearance and then a bunch of the original stories from Amazing Spider-Man, stuff from Strange Tales, and more. These are really neat. These Kind of include some scholarly introductions and various insights into the importance of a character like Spider Man in addition to these classic stories, and you get similar things in Black Panther and Captain America. Captain America has a forward by Gene Luen Yang, who is one of our favorites. He's writing an incredible run on Shang-Chi Comics right now. He's also a ding-dang delight. And then the forward on Black Panther is by Nnedi Okorafor, who is wonderful, has done some work for us. And so get to read all these and get to you get a sense of not just like the the great stories but the cultural importance of these characters and these classic tales
1: oh man jason reynolds did the foreword for the spider-man book and has also written some spider-man ya for us they also feature a lot of stuff from ben saunders who if you don't know now you know is a huge marvel fan knows like everything has Mm -hmm. helped us with all kinds of like marvel exhibits he has a vast collection of Marvel and a vast knowledge of Marvel. He's great. And of course, you can pre-order those books now wherever books are sold in the Black Spine paperback or the collectible hardcover. So go check those out.
0: We've talked about various ways to read some classic comics. Let's talk about some brand new comics coming our way soon because we are entering a new era of Captain America. And we've got a first look over on Marvel.com of Captain America number zero, where you got Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson teaming up. That's coming April 20th, so not that far away. And we're launching two new Captain America titles this year. And so this is going to be the sort of the kickoff to all that stuff. Great stories in here. We've got writers Jackson Len, Land- and Colin Kelly, along with artist Carmen Carnero doing a Steve Rogers story, and then writer Tochi Onibuchi and artist R.B. Silva telling a Sam Wilson story. These are really kicking off a whole bunch of new things that we're going to get very, very hyped for real soon.
1: Also, if you're looking for something to scare the bejesus out of yourself, there is a new alien annual, which is going to reveal Gabriel Cruz's first xenomorph encounter. Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca are continuing their epic with this new annual. It's coming in June. If you need some xenomorph action in your life, you need an alien, you want to feel like, oh, I got a rumbly in my tumbly. Am I in danger? This is your moment. <laughs> Go do it. I just love that we get to do alien comics. It's that's so it. Great. That's it's,
0: that's the tweet. Yep. that That's it. It's so fun. And also, they're horrifying and brutal books. So expect nothing less from Philip Kennedy Johnson and Salvador La Roca.
1: Will they sing Hello, my baby? Hello, my honey? A la Spaceballs? You decide.
0: Lorraine, you know what else is coming up soon? The next Hellfire Gala. Oomts oonts oonts
1: ooms fashion 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 fashion
0: oh That ounce, should ounce. be our trailer video for the next Hellfire Gala. <laughs> Just you going oomps oomts oomts fashion 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 fashion. Yes, X-Men Hellfire Gala number one is coming in June. It's a 72-page one-shot by Jerry Duggan with Art by Russell Dodder and Mateo Lowly, C.F. and Chris Anka. And just look, last year brought a huge number of things that came out of the Hellfire Gala. I know this one is going to be a big time. We're not going to give any spoilers about it, but we have started to reveal the Hellfire Gala fashion covers and they mm-hmm. are fabulous.
1: I think my favorite is the Jen Bartel one. No surprise there because I love her of Phoenix and her like, flowy, skirty thing. I don't know. Just go look at them. They're on marvel.com. They're wonderful. And look out for the Hellfire Gala coming in June. You know what else is in June? Mm pride month yeah and there's also going to be some really great covers that are coming for the pride month celebration featuring a lot of our queer identifying characters like america somnus aaron fisher destiny karma iceman Dawkins, and valkyrie they're going to be on various issues throughout june the covers are individually created by betsy cola and luciano vecchio so look out for those coming in
0: june very exciting all right, we got more comic book stuff to talk about because Judgment Day is coming. Ooh, Dr. Claw? <laughs> oh, God. That, <laughs> that hurt. Judgment Day is coming, and it is by writer Kieran Gillen and artist Valerio Schietti. It is the big Marvel Comics epic AXE that's Avengers, X-Men, Eternals. There it is. Yeah, Judgment Day, and it will define the summer for our characters. And now we're starting to get first looks at the covers, interior artwork, and more. There's a big trailer that's here, but everything's sort of coming together. It's, if you've been reading the different strains of books, Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals, you'll see how some stuff is happening right, right now in Eternals. There's really cool stuff that's been happening where they've been interacting with Avengers in cool ways. Cersei and Namor are going to go... And it's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, the (laughs) AXE Eve of Judgment number one is the prelude issue where Kieran teams up with artist Pasquale Ferry. That's our first shot of this big conflict to come. And then we're getting into six issues of the AXE Judgment Day. And then that's going to start in July. We're going to have tie-in issues across the Marvel Universe. It's going to be big, bombastic Marvel superhero summer action.
1: I'm excited. That's three big teams. That's going to be a big old book. Yeah. Speaking of big old books, Ryan, mm. what's going on in uh, Marvel's Pull This This Week? How are the books?
0: The books Did you are, book them? The books are great. We booked all of them. We've got a really great episode of the podcast this week. Our favorites this week were Devil's Reign X Men number three, Shang-Chi number 10, and X Deaths of Wolverine number five. Really great picks. And we were joined by big old nerd Hector Navarro as our guest host this week. He's from Nerdist and some other stuff. He was wonderful to join us. He's previously been on as a reading club guest. And speaking speaking of reading clubs, we have executive editor Tom Brevoort joining us for the first of a two-part series of reading clubs covering New Avengers Illuminati. We talked for a long time about six issues. The New Avengers Illuminati series by Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Reed, Jim Chung, and Alex Malev tremendous, tremendous comic books from 2005, 2006, and getting Tom, who is the editor on all these books, to give us insight and talk very candidly and openly about all these stories, the creation of the Illuminati in Marvel Comics, sort of the seeds and the start of Secret Invasion that we see through the pages of Illuminati, and we get to talk about the Infinity Gauntlet, Secret Wars, so much more. It is one of my favorite series that we've done And this is a freaking great conversation that, again, we had to split it across two episodes because there was just too much for us to have to cut it down into one episode. And so hopefully y'all will check it out this week and next week as we talk about New Avengers Illuminati on Marvel's pull list. Get it wherever you get your podcasts, probably wherever you're listening to this right now.
1: You can listen to Marvel's Pull List, but not before you listen to our upcoming interview with E.B. Zaboi, author of Okoye to the People.
0: The book is super cool seeing Okoye come to America and get connected with a, a different community than she's used to in Wakanda. Her interactions with T'Chaka, the Black Panther of this time period where the book is set. It's It was a lot of fun and E.B. was wonderful to talk to. So let's hear that interview right now.
1: I am very excited because we have a special guest with us here this week in Marvel. Evie
2: Zaboy, writer of Okoye to the People. How you doing? Hello, Lorraine. I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. We're
0: excited. And as a father of a two-year-old mixed-race little black girl, I am very excited for her to get her hands on this book when she is able to read it or read it to her. The time that I live in and she can read books and see some heroes that look like her from Marvel, it's amazing. So thank you, just thank you for me as a dad for having this book that I can give to her in a couple of years.
2: Well, thank you for bringing that up. And this is why I do what I do. Thank you for acknowledging that.
1: So what is your Marvel origin story? What was the first way
2: that you first encountered Marvel's characters or the universe? So this is embarrassing because I knew about Marvel, but was not a fan of comic books. My husband is. So I like to talk about his Marvel origin story. He is really excited that I am writing this book and he was very helpful in the process. So much so that I did not want to hear anything from him because he's not my editor. He is just a Marvel fan. But for me, I came to Marvel through the MCU. I have kids. I am really, really loved all the movies, but I got to tell you, Black Panther is what did it for me. Exactly what Ryan said about representation. For me, it was representation on so many levels. Before Wakanda, the only sort of African type of fantasy setting that I can remember seeing in movies was coming to America, Zamunda. (laughs) So Wakanda replaced Zamunda in my imagination. And as an immigrant, I am an immigrant, I need a sort of fantastical world. I need a romanticized version of something like home. And this is exactly what Black Panther's Wakanda provided. Black Panther did it for me, like it did for so many
0: others. What we're going to see over the next decades is how many people discover Marvel because of the MCU, no matter their age. And it's part of our stories, which is great. Can you give us a brief rundown of what Okoye to the People is about? So Okoye to the
2: People, and I want to talk about my Dora Milaje origin story. There's Marvel, there's Black Panther, and then there's Dora Milaje. So Okoye to the People is about Okoye, of course, uh, Dora Milaje, soldier, warrior, guard, devoted to the throne, devoted to the king. And she escorts Kin T'Challa on a humanitarian mission to New York City. And she and Ayo have to escort him. And in the interim, she ventures out to a Brooklyn neighborhood called Brownsville, which is a very real neighborhood and meets some teens there and a community organizer. And there are some things happening in that neighborhood that one of her hosts, a real estate mogul, a developer, a sinister real estate mogul and developer is doing some shady things in this neighborhood called Brownsville. Okoye is forced to contend with her duties to the throne and wanting to help these teens out who are in a very tricky situation. And because this is Marvel, the sinister things are sort of uh, larger than life. It's not <laughs> your typical run-of-the-mill gentrification, which is what is also happening. I am saying something about what happens in real neighborhoods and real communities around the country. But it's not just gentrification. This is an evil villain, and she is doing things in evil ways. And uh, once you read the book, you'll see how exactly how sinister it is. But it does come from some real historical moments in New York City. I grew up in New York City and I took some ideas out of what I watched happening in my neighborhood and in other neighborhoods in New York City and exaggerated them into a Marvel-sized book.
1: (laughs) I love all of the New York in the book. It, It made my heart so happy as someone who lives in New York. It's so fun to have that world so vivid in the text and it's so enjoyable. I also love that, you know, the story kicks off in Wakanda and you know we think of Akwe a lot of times i think we think of her in films you know as a grown up but she's a little bit younger in this book at what point is she in her career
2: with the Dora Milaje she's a very new dora and she's trained she's made it but she's still being tested and this is her very first assignment outside of Wakanda this is her first time outside of Wakanda so in this book she is in her late teens She's a couple of years older than the teens she assists. So she's still very young and trying to figure out her way. And this is a fish out of water story. Not only is she new to the Dora Milaje, she is just new to the world in understanding what Wakanda means to the world, what she's supposed to keep secret and what she's supposed to, you know, how she's supposed to help, whether or not she's supposed to help. Mm -hmm. And in her new experience, she challenges the king, too. And this is what young people do because the world is so new. They are passionate about everything. And in that passion, they challenge their elders. And she's challenging the king. She's challenging the throne and Wakanda, not in overt way, but in her compassion for other people, in her compassion for what kids who look like her are going through in other places. So this is why I love this story because she's still young. You know she's not set in her ways yet, although she has a duty to the throne and she understands what that means. But it's still very new and fresh, so there are some cracks in there, cracks in her loyalty, and she has to decide what she's going to do about that.
0: With that though, that sort of looking through her younger eyes, there's also a lot of compassion that she has for the kids, and and I love the way King Tachaka they go back and forth a lot throughout the book, and especially Captain Anika having those discussions and sort of they've seen a little bit more. They understand, well, a lot of bit more. They understand <laughs> more. But she's sort of opening them up to, hey, there's more than we're seeing, than we're used to. And, and seeing it through her eyes is is a really refreshing thing, I think, for those characters as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is this softens her a little bit. Most people see the Dora Milaje through the movie, and they get to know her through the comics. But this is another layer of her that I get to add, that I get to participate in. And that's, I wanted to bring out her compassion. I wanted to bring that softness. And it's not just because she is a female or anything like that. It's that she's human, and I wanted to humanize a warrior, (laughs) I wanted to humanize these fictional characters. I get to do that in a novel. And sometimes it's harder to do in comics, you know, with paragraphs and sentences and just getting into her head. We get to see the depth and breadth of this character and not only Okoye, but just the people of Wakanda in general and the people of Brownville, which was very important to me.
0: Well, there is softness. I want to make sure our listeners know She's still Adora Malaja. She Milaje, is bad yeah. ass throughout this book, and it is awesome to read.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is such a fun story. You know, I was really excited. You know, you mentioned King T'Chaka. We have Ayo and Captain Anika, who are all sort of beloved characters from comics. How did you start to decide on what part of the cast you wanted to pull from sort of the canon of Wakanda
2: and who you wanted to create as these new characters? So this was hard to do because I had to really, really stick to the Marvel characters. They have specific characteristics. And because I typically write literary, it was hard to write an action-packed book. And I think I did it, but my editors were very open to like, okay, let's just get some feelings and thinky thoughts in here. (laughs) So... In the process of, because I write for teens mostly, it was important for me to have teens in this story. This is a YA novel. It was important to center the teens, not only by making Okoye younger, but having her interact with some other people whose culture is different from hers, even though they look like her. And I wanted to say something not only about the teens, but about where they live. This is set in New York City, and I wanted to show a different part of New York City it's set in brooklyn and we all know the fun hip brooklyn that we all see in movies and tv but we don't usually get to see like some of the fringes the outer perimeters of brooklyn where poor and marginalized or working class people are usually pushed back into. So I wanted to tell the story of a community as well and think about what that community, who would be the villain for a community like that, or what would be the villain? So it's the teens, it's a community and a setting and a place, and what would be the threat to that? And it was hard to put the villain, like, characterize the villain as one evil person. But if I didn't do that, it wouldn't be a Marvel book, right? (laughs) Right. I couldn't just make the villain an idea. (laughs) I had to, like, personify an idea and think about what would she look like. Coming up with a name was fun and um, coming up with different scenarios of how this villain would interact with the characters. And I want to say more, but I'm afraid of, like, spoilers. You have Captain Aneka accompanying Okoye, and then Okoye meets two teens, Mars and Tree, two badass girls running the show, but they're still having trouble trying to keep their community together. And Okoye has to decide whether or not she's going to help them. So it's a lot of fun characters, and it was a lot of fun coming up with those characters and their names, too.
0: Tree and Mars, really great characters. The relationships and and how you see them sort of flow and the problems that they have with each other around the community, around Stella trusting Okoye, especially in those last couple of chapters, which we won't give any spoilers. But seeing how things come together and where they all land, I was like, I came out of the book wanting more stories about Tree and Mars and, and what's going on with them in Brownsville after this and after the big finale.
2: Yeah, well, their life goes on. And you wonder what will happen once Okoye leaves. And the idea is that, well, once you find your hero, and that hero saves the day, and the day is over, and the hero returns back to wherever heroes come from, those kids then become heroes in their own right. And in Okoye's case it's that saying, give a man a fish or teach a man how to fish. Okoye teaches them how to fish, how to organize their communities, how to combat all the things that are threatening their lives and their livelihoods. And it's enough for Tree and Mars to know that, you know, maybe there is a Wakanda out there. Maybe Wakanda is more than what it really is. And I think it's enough for them to have met someone like Okoye and to see what she is capable of doing for them and possibly the whole world. So when you meet a hero, it's enough to know that they're there. And I think that's a good place to end the story, right? (laughs) There'll be other things that they have to come up against, but ultimately it is a hero saving the day. And once they save the day, you know that someone is out there rooting for you.
1: I love the message of this story and sort of just the overall idea of it so much too, because I think there are so many narratives of like saviorism, but to like have someone who could come to the United States and help kids here, I think that's not a story that as people of the United States that we hear a lot. You know, we're usually the people that are supposed to be going somewhere else and doing a thing in all of the stories or most of the stories that we've been fed through time. But I really have just enjoyed that it's also like a really hopeful story for kids, I think, who will be reading this book and getting to experience it and and learning about the world. I do sort of feel like your kids' generation, I'm really counting on them to like save us. (laughs) I think they're so bright and wonderful. And as a generation, they're just phenomenal. How much do you look at your own kids and and pull inspiration from them as you have, you know, teenagers in the wild
2: (laughs) to be inspired by? I'm always inspired by them and their friends and Gen Z in general. Mm -hmm. They're very much like Gen X where we were on the brink of technology. We were always on the brink of something new you know we remember cassette tapes and CDs in the same way that Gen Z can possibly remember a world before TikTok right <laughs> <laughs> there's new technology seemingly every day and they have to learn quick to interact with those new technologies in the same way that I've had to so i see a lot of similarities and on a very superficial level, like my kids are dressing like I did back in the 90s, you know? <laughs>
1: it's it's in, baby. <laughs> yeah,
2: it is. And my son is listening to the hip hop that I listened to in high school. He calls it old school. It's retro, <laughs> vintage. So in a sense, we are not that different. You know, I like to always think that generations, the only thing that separate us is probably The stuff that we have to interact with. Mm. Technology changes, but we're still the same people and we're forced to focus on our differences because of new technologies, because of new trends. But ultimately, this book, Marvel and Black Panther and MCU existing for Gen Z in a way that it didn't exist for me Is part of those new technologies. So while my son has Spider-Man, I had Thundercats, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) That took me back. Same (laughs) kind of love and excitement. I had He-Man. And, you know, I got excited over movies and TV in the same way that young people and teens are excited about a new Marvel comic books, all the different media that they have. I am seeing them reflected in me. I see myself in them. I see my generation in them. And I am inspired by them. But I don't think there is a big difference at all. I like to focus on the similarities. But overall, I certainly did not have anything like a Koye to people when I was growing up. I had gem. Gem and the hologram. Yeah. Gem and the hologram. Yeah.
1: Everything you're saying is close to my heart. <laughs> okay.
2: Did a lot of She-Ra, a lot of Thundercats, a lot of Gemma right. Hologram. So that's what I'm pulling. My love of that type of media is what I'm pulling from, too. And they think like, mom, you never had that. But while I didn't have Okoye, I had other things. And I'm part of like kid lit authors who are adding more to what what we had. You know, it's just more. We worked with what we had, but they have more to work with. I love that.
0: Just looking at what my daughter, like, she gets into and she's excited about. And she has Doc McStuffins, which... Yeah. is like the coolest thing in the world. She's got so many doctor toys right now that she plays with. She's like, do you want to play doctor? I'm like, yes, let's play doctor. And it's so cool. And there's <laughs> there's a million things that she gets into. But I want to touch on something that I really enjoyed about the book is that T'Chaka is king in the book. And of course, we've seen King T'Chaka across media. We've got some stories of him in the comics. We've seen him in the MCU and a couple places, but we don't Get that much time with him across many of the Marvel stories. So it was exciting to read him in this book and seeing him interact with his Dora. How does he differ in your mind from T'Challa, his son?
2: Well, let me tell you while I was writing it, I'm so used to T'Challa that I probably said T'Challa instead of T'Chaka, but I had to get to know T'Chaka too. I had to just do some digging into the comics and watch in the movies and recreate him in my imagination that is outside of what I saw in the MCU world. But not different. He had to have a presence in my mind that was not T'Challa, right? So we get to see a younger version of King T'Chaka. And at this point, T'Challa, the prince, is running around in Wakanda taking his like martial arts lessons or whatever. He's a kid and This king is sort of new to the world in that there is something to keep secret about Wakanda. You know, there is this face, there is a humanitarian face and he is just a king from a poor African nation and nothing more. So we don't get to see the superhero that he really is. Of course, Okoye takes center stage But his interaction with Okoye is that of he must be protected. Wakanda's secret must be safeguarded. Wakanda must be protected. So I like this version where the king is not the center of the story. And he is kind of in the background, but he is sort of like a wagging the finger type father figure to her, where she's supposed to protect him, right? I love that dynamic. But ultimately, when she's questioning what her loyalties are, he has to put his foot down, but in a very loving way. And there were moments where I had to decide, well, what sort of, is he a disciplining king, right? Is he a totalitarian? He is not a totalitarian. He is just a beloved person, a good person that the world will look past, right? And probably take advantage of, but still very savvy. And he's in the background and he is protecting his Dora just as much as the Dora are protecting him. So it's a very interesting figure if anyone want to l- read more into how King Tachaka shows up on the page in a way that we're not used to.
1: Yeah, it's really so fun to read. And, you know, I realized something as we were chatting. You know, we've talked so much about Okoye to the people. But, you know, you're an author of of many books. And I'm curious. I know you have another book as well coming out right now. (laughs) You're Mm -hmm. a busy woman. But how did this story come about? Why did you agree to come on to do this book about Okoye and to work with Marvel? So
2: this is not too far out of my wheelhouse at all, My most recent book is called Star Child, a biographical constellation of Octavia Estelle Butler. Octavia Butler is a science fiction pioneer. She was the first black woman to be widely published within the science fiction genre. And it's for young readers, and I wrote it for young readers simply because she wrote her first novel at the age of 10 in 1957 during the Red Scare, during the Civil Rights Movement, during the Cold War she was thinking about Martians and magical horses who get their powers from fallen stars. This was the kind of kid I was, not to say that I was writing those kinds of things, but thinking about humanity, not within the context of planet Earth, but within the context of the galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And thinking about, and one of the things that Octavia Butler would say, that while there's nothing new under the sun, there are new suns. And she had this sort of larger-than-life worldview at a very young age. Granted, she grew up in the 1950s and 60s where sci-fi was, it was the golden age of science fiction, and she absorbed science fiction in both movies and comic books. She read comic books, some of these pulp magazines that were on sale for 10 cents, some of her Idols were Theodore Sturgeon and Philip K. Dick, these science fiction heavyweights she read as a little Black girl growing up in Los Angeles. And I met Octavia Butler, I studied with her. I attended the Clarion West Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop in Seattle. So my literary foundation is science fiction, but I like to say Afrofuturism because I was always interested in writing about Black people in the future or interacting with science and magic, or magic as science. So those were some of the first things that I was writing. But unfortunately, 15 years ago, I could not get anything through the door with any sort of major publisher. I've gotten short stories published in the YA space. The YA, young adult genre, has a troubled relationship with science fiction right now, right? <laughs> Fantasy is a thing with the courts and thrones and kings and queens or what have you. But social science fiction is a harder sell. And this is where my passion lies. Dystopia is long gone. I also love dystopian fiction. So writing a Marvel book was a way in to speculative fiction, the type of speculative fiction that I love. And once I um was offered to write this, there is a personal connection to it as well. I am Haitian. I was born in Haiti. And when the Dora Milaje started being part of the conversation about these Black women warriors, they were compared to the Amazon warrior women of Dahomey, who are actually African warriors. And a lot of Haitian culture stems from Dahomey or Benin or the phone people, F-O-N, in Guinea-Bissau, that area in Africa where these women came from. So I feel a personal connection to these warrior women who used magic and voodoo, not Hollywood version of voodoo, but used their sort of ancestral magic in order to fight in order to become warriors, maybe something like the heart-shaped herb, (laughs) but less science and more magic according to those Amazonian women. So there was just so many things that I could do with this story, and it's not too far out of my wheelhouse. I felt a personal collection. I felt a duty. Like, if not me, then who? And I also had my hair cut short like Adora Milaje. And, you know, when I saw the movie, I was like, that is me. That Mm. is me. (laughs) So, yeah. Kismet. Yeah, kismet, of course. And it was hard. It was challenging. But it was fun
0: to write. There's some fun discussions of science and magic when, like, the kids are seeing Okoye and Anika, what they can do, just glimpses of it and and having those discussions. So I think readers will get a, a real enjoyment out of seeing what you're discussing here come to life on the page. Anything else you want readers, both young and old, to take away from Okoye to the People? So Okoye
2: to the People is about just really understanding what it means to do something that benefits everyone If you're trying to save the world, you shouldn't be the one benefiting from that. Other people should benefit from you being a hero. And it's not just that you're saving other people. You are helping people save themselves. And I do want to say something about one of the hardest things about writing this book was constantly having to remember that Wakanda is all about science and not magic. And usually when we talk about places like Africa or even me from the Caribbean with magical realism, we assume that some of the things that happen there is magic, right? Or we apply some of these superstitious notions about how things get done. But it was so refreshing for me to constantly have to go back to science in terms of how the vibranium spear works, in terms of how the Kamoya beads work. It's not magic, it's science. And the editors were helpful in reminding me that, but it was a process for me and unlearning, if you will, of saying, right, Wakanda is an African nation. And it is also technologically advanced. It is all about science. There is no magic, right? But there is. The magic is in the technology. Technology can have magic. It is magical how we are communicating in this way, but it is a very different definition of magic. But overall, this is like a steam book. what educators use, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. (laughs) So this is what I love about what marvel has done with its characters its comics and especially with black panther
1: i love that so much because honestly science and magic are the same it's just how you look at it look at us animated bodies talking to each (laughs) other and that's just electricity but what's electricity if not magic right Right. E B, thank you so much. It was so wonderful. Of course, everyone go pick up Okoye to the People wherever you get your books. You
2: will not be sorry. It's such a delightful read. Thank you, Ibi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ryan and Lorraine.
1: Special thanks to E.B. boy for coming on the show. And of course, go check out Okoye to the People. It's now available wherever books are sold. Go book it.
0: Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Remember Book It when you were a kid? I wonder if that exists anymore. What's Book It? Book It was a phenomenon. I grew up in California, and uh, it was a phenomenon where you would read books. And if you read enough books, you got a pizza, a personal pizza.
0: Elizabeth told me about this. We have real pizza in New York, so we didn't have to do this. How dare you? All right, time for our community section, our question of the week section. So next week we have Jim Rugg, who is the writer and artist on Hulk Grand Design, which is this really cool two-issue, big, sweeping Hulk series that covers... 40-ish years of Hulk's history in really cool telling. So we're going to have him on the show. We also have a great chat next week with editor Nick Lowe talking about the end of Spider-Man Beyond in Amazing Spider-Man number 93 and the future of Spider-Man stuff happening next week. So I was just thinking, since we're going to be talking a lot about Hulk next week, let's ask everybody their question of the week. What is your favorite Hulk story?
1: My favorite Hulk story... Is when he was dressed as a clown and he was a sad baby clown Aww. in those early Avengers. comic. Yeah.
0: They're... Yeah, in the
1: early Avengers comic, and he's like, I'm a sad baby clown. Yeah. I you know what? I do okay, Immortal Hulk is the real answer probably, but <laughs> I do have to say that I love dumb baby Hulk. I love Dumb Baby Hulk. When he was just like Hulk, Hulk mad, muh. Ma. Like, I don't know. I like Dumb Dumb Hulk.
0: Yeah, I mean, the broken child Hulk, victim of child abuse and and dealing with all of his stuff. That's what he's, that's that Hulk.
1: Ryan, don't (laughs) twist my words. Don't try to make me the villain. I'm saying before any of that stuff was revealed. Okay, so a while back we had um, a Marvel exhibit and it talked about the real science behind how it would work if Hulk truly hulked out. And they said like, essentially his amygdala would grow in size and like take over his entire brain essentially so that he would just be like this big walking id like eh, creature so all he is like I want food I want hit I want whatever like not a great faculty for speech but like a great faculty for just doing whatever the frig you want so like I support it and I'm here for it
0: I think if I had to choose one story, I would go with uh, Hulk Future Imperfect. It's got oh, post-apocalyptic it's vibes. It's got some of the greatest art of all time by George Perez. It is beautiful, wonderful Peter David stuff. It's inspired a lot of a lot of stuff across the board. It is something I go back to every once in a while, just as like, this is kind of perfect comics to me. So that would be my pick but we want to hear from everybody else because there's so many great Hulk stories to dig into. What is your favorite Hulk story? You can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to us at Marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show.
1: Yeah, because we're going to read your... Flipping tweets and messages on the show, and that's what we're going to do right now. So, last week we asked, What was your favorite moment from the first trailer of Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel? And the correct answer was all of it. And if you didn't say all of it, <laughs> your answer was wrong. Let's hear the tweets. <laughs>
0: yes. Devin Colson at Devin Colson says, Besides the use of blinding lights by the weekend, I like the tease of Kamala Khan's powers in action. Iman looks to be having a blast, and I'm excited to see her Marvel debut this summer.
1: Yeah. Shaw at Super Shaw 10 said, Blinding Lights playing as Kamala goes into action. Gotta say, it's a bop, Mm -hmm. not a flop.
0: Yep. Cal at Fanboy CA says, My favorite moment from the first trailer for Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel was when Kamala is on the rooftop talking about Fantasyland. Also, the editing and the song used for the trailer are just chef's kiss. Next up,
1: Elena Nikulinin at Elena Nikki said, I loved the fangirling of Captain Marvel. It makes me so happy to think there is a parallel universe out there where teenage girls could have Carol as their role model. Oh, I love that. That's so nice. That's so great. Dumperary at Dumperary said, When Kamala said this to her counselor, do I have to figure out my whole future before lunch or just like <laughs> a-, a relatable teen feeling? Yes,
0: very much so. Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard says there were so many cool Kamala moments, but I'm going to say my favorite bit was the disco ball Captain Marvel. I need one of those over my dining table.
1: Yeah, we got this next one from Jessica at Fandom Fan Life, which says, while well, I love the whole thing. Great answer, Jessica. The shot of Ms. Marvel sitting on the lamppost wearing her hero costume gave me chills. It felt straight out of the comics, and I knew this show would be perfect. And honestly, I love this comment because Jamie McKelvey, who we just had on the show a couple of weeks ago, reposted his iconic cover of Ms. Marvel, and it is chef's kiss. It brought me great joy. It also brought me great joy that 100 Soft, who does a lot of our emojis, made a little gif of the lamppost in his like cute chibi kind of style. Ugh, so cute.
0: And that cover by Jamie is from Ms. Marvel issue number five. If you want to go check it out. All right, let's keep this rolling. Iris Khan at Iris underscore Khan says, when she corrects the pronunciation of her name, an empowering moment for a Desi.
1: Next up, we have one that says, Kamala Khan. Please say this in all caps. Thanks. I think I tried. I mean, I tried. Yeah. I hope I hope I did it. But honestly, right answer.
0: Yes. Luncheon Lord, at Luncheon Lord, tweets, I loved when Kamala took those tentative steps and said, cosmic. Yeah. Also, we got some great Twitter names this week.
1: Mm-hmm. Mita, Taylor's version, at Casually Cruel D, said, the eye color change. Yeah.
0: Caitlin at swiftly marvels tweeted, my favorite moment from the trailer was seeing Kamala confide in Bruno like she did in the comics. They're my favorite duo.
1: Mm. Oh, so nice. Tugba Turin at Tugba underscore Turin said the last sentence, I'm a superhero. Mm.
0: Heck yeah. We got an email from Grayson Woznisenski, which says, I have to agree with Lorraine. The final shot from the trailer was great. When would be the best time for Squirrel Girl to make her debut in the MCU? I hope very soon.
1: Every day is a great day for Squirrel Girl, no matter where she is, because she is great. Yeah,
0: she's <laughs> Biased. Just the best. Go read. Everybody who have never read The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, read all those comics immediately. All right, that is it. That wraps it up for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton.
0: And Joe DeBoff is our director of audio.
1: And special thanks this week to all of our friends from Disney and beyond for their support. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. blood coming out of my nose, eyeballs g- bulging g- g- the content.